I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Quick note before we start. Whoever wrote the review with the title 100th Review on iTunes, you made my day. Penny Vodka Pete doesn't get enough shine, so you get a t-shirt. Email team at gettacklebox.com with your address and size and thank you. And if you like the show and haven't written a review, please do. It helps. And if you've written a review and feel like you deserve a shirt too, email me. We'll see what we can do. But don't just do it for the shirt. Back to it. Today, we're going to talk about how to pick the right startup idea for you to go after. A good side effect of this will be a framework that will let you see in 20 minutes way more potential startup ideas than you did five minutes ago. The goal is for your life to become a giant magic eye poster where ideas suddenly materialize like that boat was always supposed to, but this time you won't have to pretend that you see it. By the way, I was curious if magic eyes were still a thing, so I googled it and there are a few bot-generated accounts that make Twitter or Instagram posts with the new magic eye every day, and I've got an update. I still can't see anything. Which got me thinking about how amazing it would be if the creator of Magic Eye came out one day and said there were never any pictures and that it was all a social experiment. Everyone who claims they saw the sailboat was faking it. Anyway, people look in the wrong places for ideas, which means they usually end up choosing the wrong ideas to pursue. When you do this, you're kind of screwed from day one, so let's not do it. The reason we look in the wrong places is that our instinctual value frameworks around startup ideas are inverted. We think bad ideas are good and good ideas are bad. But once you know what a good idea looks like, you'll start to see them everywhere, which is great because we need more people starting more things. I've had a few super frustrating conversations lately with people who think that all the good ideas have been taken, or that it's a bad time to start a business, or worst of all, that we somehow missed out on the golden years of starting a startup, that there was this magical window from like 2004 to 2017, and now it's all over. Forget the fact that it just takes a while for a business to grow, so of course all the interesting businesses now were started between 5 and 15 years ago. Also, in general, don't be the things were better back then man person. No one likes that person, and it's almost never actually true. Someone cornered me at a wedding the other day and asked me that now familiar question. So, what are you going to do now at Tacklebox that the startup thing is kind of over? We're in a bit of a recession and startups aren't trendy anymore and it seems like the only businesses left are in Web3 and it doesn't seem like that's working out all that well. The low-hanging fruit has been picked. So what's your plan? I responded, I guess I'll just open a diner and then I frantically looked for my wife to save me from the conversation. I couldn't find her, so I decided to play along. Although there might still be a problem or two left to solve, I said. There are still a few social problems, economic problems, healthcare, pre-K, higher ed, education in general, housing, debt, agriculture, clinical depression, supply chain logistics, childhood obesity, jobs, elder care. Pharmaceutical costs are up something like 408% the last five years. Plus, all the niche industry-specific problems I don't know anything about. I mean, we're at a wedding in a small town right now, and literally every restaurant has a sign in the window saying they're operating at half capacity or straight up closed because they don't have access to workers because Airbnb got rid of all the affordable housing those workers used to live in. It seems like there might be a problem or two left to solve. Well, yeah, he replied, 
But those aren't like startup things. Those are societal problems or economic problems or global warming. That stuff is hard. I'm talking about like Tinder. Those opportunities are mostly gone. As much of a nincompoop as that person was, and they were actually super pleasant once we got off the topic of startups, and I realized maybe I was being a bit defensive, I do think that that's how lots of talented people think about startup ideas, as things that should seem easy, as the low-hanging fruit you sort of look around and notice, as a $100 bill sitting on the street that somehow no one else has picked up yet. This is a huge problem, because we need smart people solving hard things. And they usually want to, but they don't know how to identify the opportunities that are truly worth their time. So when those people do venture out on their own to start something, since their idea value structure is all wonky, they identify the wrong thing as the thing that they should start. So that's the muck we're going to wade through today. What seems like a hard idea, one so big and hairy that it has to be way too risky to even say out loud, is usually the opposite. It's the thing you should probably go after. And the seemingly easy ideas are never actually easy. When's the last time you found a $100 bill on the ground? Doesn't happen. What we need is some perspective and context. Today, we're going to take a very simple approach. We'll break down ideas by two frameworks that'll help your idea radar. The hassle premium and the myth of the hard idea. Knowing these will let you look at the magic eye and see the boat while everyone else just sits around, bummed out that someone else already invented Tinder. But first, we've got to talk about Tinder for Jobs and Frank Prisonzano. After, a word from this week's sponsor, Build. This episode of Idea to Start a Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Build. That's B-Y-L-D-D dot com. They're a development agency that helps early stage startups build and launch scalable, revenue generating software businesses. Development from non-technical founders and teams without a tech person on them is the massive elephant in the room that just sits there judging you while you run all of your customer work and intent tests. And once you've validated your idea and you know that customers want what you've decided to build, you've got to figure out how to build it. That's where things get sticky. You probably don't have 100K to throw at a huge creative agency, and even if you did, for your first product, you probably shouldn't. You might roll the dice on Upwork, and it might work, but you'll need to project manage the whole thing. The cost will be a black box, and I cannot stress enough the might in that first sentence. For 10K and roughly a month of work, Build will get your validated product up and out. We've advertised Build a few times, and the one question we've been asked is, can companies that work with them end up growing big? The answer is absolutely. They've worked with companies that have gone on to Y Combinator and raised money at 10-figure valuations. Build is the way to get your first product built. And that product can lay the infrastructure and the foundation for any size company. Head to build.com to talk to Ayush. That's B-Y-L-D-D.com and tell him you heard about it through Idea to Startup. Back to it. It's interesting that the nincompoop who wasn't actually all that bad at the wedding the other day mentioned that Tinder was taken. Because one of the inspirations for this podcast was a pitch I've gotten over and over the past few months and really the past six or seven years whenever the economy goes into a bit of a slump. The idea is Tinder for jobs. It might not be the OG of Whisper Ideas, but it's definitely on the Whisper Idea Mount Rushmore, along with the app that tells people if a bar is busy or not, Instagram for dogs, which turned out to kind of just be Instagram, 85% of travel apps, and a marketplace for private chefs, which, against every experienced startup instinct in my body, I still believe and hope someone can nail. The idea behind Tinder for jobs is simple and alluring. It makes all the sense in the world. Searching for a job is terrible, just like searching for someone to date is terrible. 
Tinder, theoretically, made that easier. So why wouldn't that same approach, swiping, matching, chatting, make job searching easier too? There are three popular flavors of Tinder for jobs. First, the one where job seekers make a profile and fill out basically a common job application and then swipe right on companies they want to work for. HR employees look through lists of candidates swiping as well. When there's a match, an interview is scheduled by the app. The second flavor makes every swipe a submitted application, so the job seeker cruises through potential roles and swipes if interested. An app is sent to that HR person who decides if an interview makes sense or not. The big value of this one is it is so easy to apply, it's just a swipe. And finally, the third flavor allows you to swipe right on companies you'd like to work at, and HR or someone at the company can open up a chat if they're potentially interested too. The idea here is more of an informal relationship that more organically leads to an interview, with each side learning a bit more about each other along the way. If you're nodding your head thinking that any of these approaches sounds cleaner than however you went about finding your last job, you're not alone. The bones seem to make sense. Which, if you recall the core tenets of whisper ideas, is the most alluring part of them. Whenever you tell a friend about that idea, they'll nod and say that it sounds great. Never forget that when you tell people your idea, if 80% of them don't think it's objectively terrible, you're likely going down a doom path. Back to Tinder for jobs. Nearly every founder that pitches this idea to me, and they all pitch it in those three words, Tinder for jobs, says they'll start with the job seekers that are in the highest demand. That is how you kickstart any marketplace. By getting the side that is in high demand and needs you less involved first, then the other side will naturally come. They borrowed the strategy from Tinder. The first users on Tinder were single sorority girls in LA. The thinking was that signing these people up first would bring everyone else, and it did. The Tinder for Jobs founders always use the sorority girls of the job world, software engineers. Lure the engineers on with a crazy easy interface and a way for them to pick and choose their next role. These people tend to hop jobs a ton and, as we mentioned, are in high demand. And the companies will follow, these founders say. They'll go where the engineers go. It certainly sounds like something that should work. So why hasn't it? Why don't you use Tinder for Jobs? Because it's a $100 bill sitting on the ground, and there are never $100 bills sitting on the ground. When I have deeper conversations with these entrepreneurs, I'll ask them how customer interviews are going. They'll say they already did them or they don't need to. They even get frustrated, conveying that it's the least important thing that they could be doing right now. The risk of the idea, they say, is not being first to market. They need to raise and execute. Tinder for jobs will work. The hard part is funding it and building it. I remember a specific entrepreneur who said exactly that to me. I asked about the HR side of the marketplace. What was scarce for them, aside from talented engineers? What were their constraints, monetarily, team-wise, and financial? What did they look for? What were the dams in the river for finding those people? How did the HR manager get measured internally? How did they get promoted? What was their deeper job to be done? What was their existing workflow? How exactly do they hire engineers now? And my last question, which led to a laugh, what was the happiest moment of the HR employee's year last year? We're going to figure all that stuff out after we raise, the founder said. And they actually did. Then they went under four months later, citing the inability to hire top tech talent. I'm not going to make the joke. Tinder for Jobs is a solution in search of a problem. It is a fully formed business that's rigid from day one, and it is based on nothing. But we see this a ton, usually in the X for Y space, but lots of other places too. 
These ideas, solutions in search of problems, are so prevalent because the entrepreneur is more comfortable with execution risk than customer risk. Execution risk seems straightforward and brute forcible. You can raise money, you can hire a team, you can get them to build Tinder for jobs, then you can sell it to businesses. Execution risk is a palatable risk for most first-time entrepreneurs because it seems like a risk with barriers and guardrails, like something you can wrap your arms around and tackle. Customer risk, on the other hand, is daunting. It's scary. It has unknowns and it has no boundaries. Does the customer even want this? Is it possible that the one broad customer you see is actually hundreds of tiny, unique customer segments with nuances that your first product won't possibly be able to handle? Is it possible that the order of customers is critical, that you might need a secret weapon here? You can tell you're building a solution in search of a problem if you're scared of one customer. If the idea of convincing one specific person who exists and who you know to pay you and then delivering that person tons of value seems daunting or even unlikely. But you figure at scale, it'll just happen because Tinder worked at scale. Startups are made up of two things, specific knowledge and leverage. Specific knowledge is earned through interactions with the people you'll solve a problem for. Leverage is the way you amplify that knowledge, the product. Knowledge comes first, product comes after. Tinder for Jobs has zero specific knowledge, so it fails. Simple as that. The things most entrepreneurs think are risky, building a product, building a team, raising funding, are way more of a commodity than the customer stuff is. So that's where you need to spend your time. And to do that, we'll need to do hard things, which means we're going to have to talk about Frank Prisanzano. The hard idea myth. I gave up Instagram maybe three or four years ago. I have an account, but I don't have the password. I guess I could find it, but I have no desire to. Once you're away from it for a few months, it just seems exceedingly weird and dumb when you get back to it. You're probably numb to it if you look at it, but if aliens looked at how we all use Instagram, they'd think we were complete lunatics. I'm definitely not judging anyone who likes it. I just make sure you ask yourself what problem it's solving for you, because if that problem is, quote, keep up with friends, I'm pretty sure there are better ways to do that. So I think Instagram is pretty useless, except in one case. And that case is Frank Prisanzano, the chef who runs Frank, Little Frankie's, and Supper, three absolute institutions in the New York City Italian food scene. Not pretentious, not obnoxious, insanely good. Frank's Instagram is the one account I check from my iPad, which is still logged into the old Find Your Lobster Instagram from years ago. And today, I want to tell you about his crispy eggs. I promise it's all going to come back around to you getting startup ideas. And I'll put the four-minute YouTube of him teaching you how to make crispy eggs in the show notes. Frank's Instagram account is dedicated to teaching methods of cooking. It's not recipes as much as fundamentals that make cooking less intimidating. One of my favorites comes from his crispy eggs. He gets the pan and the oil super hot, so it's hissing and smoking and crackling and intimidating as hell to someone who hasn't worked in a kitchen. Then he dumps a couple of eggs on it, and they are unfathomably good. Check the video in the notes and try it out. On his crispy egg Instagram post, he wrote, quote, This method will teach you searing. It will teach you the value of a very hot pan. You will conquer your fear of super hot oil and learn to use it for dramatic effects. His methods usually have one thing most people are scared of. Then he breaks that thing down and makes it approachable. Whenever the oil in my pan started smoking, I used to freak out and turn down the heat. Now, 
I use it to make the best eggs, fish, chicken, and steak I've ever made because I understand hot pans and I understand hot oil, and it's all because of Frank Prisanzano. Back to you. The real reason people try to start Tinder for jobs is because it seems easy and straightforward. Everyone believes it'll work. Everyone says you should do it. But the secret to startups is that hard startups are much easier to start than easy startups. The myth of the hard startup is that you should avoid things that seem reflexively like non-starters. The truth is that you should seek them out. If you have a visceral reaction to something as being super hard, most people will have that reaction too. And that reaction is almost certainly overblown. Our startups have had far more success picking a space that everyone else writes off as crazy hard, but has a crazy important and painful problem. They then figure out how to break it down and navigate it. They figure out how to cook with hot oil. They find edge of the wedge problems and they create momentum. Hard problems are lonely problems. Tinder for jobs is crowded. When you're solving hard problems, customers will be more willing to work with you for no other reason than they probably don't have another choice. People will be more willing to fund you because your story will be inspirational. Employees will be easier to hire because talented people want to solve hard problems. My favorite startup in the job space right now is called Early Day. It's a marketplace for early childhood educators. Hiring for preschool and childcare centers is notoriously hard and getting harder by the quiet quitting moment. Early Day focuses specifically on this problem no one else would touch and just closed $3.25 million in seed funding to keep their momentum. Another hiring startup we've worked with is focused on elder care sourcing and helping people hire part-time live-in help for single elderly people who don't want or can't afford a care facility. Both problems instinctively feel so hard, which is likely a good thing, or at least an indicator that the idea is worth pursuing a little bit more, looking to see if there's an edge of the wedge place you can get momentum. There's another gut check model I use to see if the problem is real and worth pursuing. I borrow it from The Personal MBA, a great book I'll pop in the show notes. It's called the hassle premium. Is this problem so painful and so ignored that to solve it, people are happy to pay a hassle premium, basically pay someone to just take the thing off their plate? The most common solution the elder care company had run across in customer interviews was people paying a middleman to source, interview, and present candidates for in-home care. They were already paying the hassle premium. That is the sign of a good problem. We talked a few weeks back about the concierge MVP, about executing manually on a product before scaling it. Most businesses evolve from service to product. Starting with a concierge consultancy type model to learn the customer and business helps you understand what product to scale. It helps you get the specific knowledge you'll choose to leverage and how. And ensuring a customer will pay the quote hassle premium ensures it's a problem they're willing to solve and pay for. The past few weeks, I've been trying to notice the problems people reflexively write off, the things that are hard, but maybe superficially so. The places where I could learn or someone could teach me, or best of all, I already know how to cook with that industry's equivalent of a piping hot pan. And I've been looking for problems where the customer would willingly pay the hassle premium, where they pay someone to take the problem off their plate because it takes too much time or is too complicated or too important to be screwed up or involves too much uncertainty and confusion or it's just straight up intimidating. Tinder for jobs doesn't work because it's easy, which sounds like a quote Yogi Berra would have made if he were a VC. Sourcing compassionate elder care might because it's hard and it matters. Search out the hard startups, look for the hassle premium, and give my guy Frank Prisanzano a follow. 
That crispy egg is to die for. This was the idea to start a podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job, head to gettacklebox.com so we can figure out the former before you leave the latter. And if you're still listening, you like the pod, maybe even love it. Leave us a review on iTunes or five stars on Spotify. It helps people find us and actually makes a huge difference. And you might end up with a t-shirt. Have a great week.